section on Solomon. Last week we focused on chapters 10 and 11 of 1 Kings mainly and looked at Solomon's failures and kind of all the negative consequences of his sin. Uh, we talked about all his, his grand accomplishments too and how many of those were in fact failures according to God's standard for what a king should be and do. And while Solomon's unfaithfulness ultimately brought disaster for Israel, he did still leave behind a legacy um, that was and is positive in other aspects. Uh, namely, that he did, in fact, early on um, obtain wisdom from God instead of taking it on his own terms. And in that way, he actually succeeded where Adam and Eve failed. Um, and he brought Israel into this season that recalled the, that Garden of Eden ideal. So this week, we're going to actually get to focus on the more positive portion of Solomon's legacy, which we have preserved, at least in part, by several books um, in our Bible that were either written by or inspired by Solomon. We know Solomon did himself produce a lot of literature uh, that was just an outpouring of God's wisdom. If you remember that passage in chapter 4 of First Kings, um, chapter 4, verses 32 through 34 said, Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about trees from the cedar of, in Lebanon to the hyssop growing out of the wall. He also spoke about animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, emissaries of all peoples sent by every king on earth who had heard of his wisdom came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. Um, I'll post that reference in the chat here. So this week we're going to um, look at what those, you know, some of those books were and, and what's in those books. Um, a lot of those proverbs that are mentioned were compiled into the book of Proverbs that we have now. And that starts off by explicit, explicitly saying, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Um, there were, you know, it has a few other Proverbs from other people thrown in there, but it's mainly credited to Solomon. And, and that book is just so packed full of these short wise sayings about all different areas of life uh, there's only 31 chapters in proverbs um, which makes it convenient to fit into a month but you can easily spend an hour or more just meditating on any given chapter because there's just so much in there well yeah and i i think one of the cool things about proverbs is that it's one of those books that you can just find like a lot of one-off verses um, so verses where you can, uh, you don't need a lot of context. You don't need the backstory, just great verses to remind you about, uh, truth. So sometimes you have to really work hard to get the, the message of something, whether it's a parable or whatever, but with Proverbs, you know, there's just, there's great verses like, um, as a dog returns to its vomit. So a fool to his folly. I mean, it's just like great. Stuff like that. I mean, everybody really <laughs> likes verses like that. They're very encouraging and uplifting and, but, but I think I like the fact that so many of the verses are, are kind of standalone verses. There's wisdom in a verse or two that you can grab and uh, kind of memorize and, and apply to different scenarios. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely very, very applicable. Um, but Proverbs isn't the only book. There's a couple other books related to Solomon, too. We have the Song of Songs, or in some 
translations, you'll see the Song of Solomon. Um, and it starts off like Proverbs, explicitly connecting itself to Solomon. Right in verse 1, it says, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Um, yeah. Is this one of those books that you read with Elliot at night, David? <laughs> uh, no. I have not done that. <laughs> when, when are we going to do this one as a series on a Sunday morning? I, I don't know. Um, It'd be fun. Song, Song of Solomon, Song of Songs uh, is is a tough book. And I think it's the opposite for me of Pro than Proverbs. Like Proverbs, all those little nuggets. I, I tried to read through Song of Solomon and just say, is there a great verse that just like I can cling to from this one that just reminds me about the main truth of it? And and other than finding really awkward ways to tell my wife that she's beautiful, like her teeth are like sheep uh, <laughs> or her neck like a tree, I really couldn't find anything that was that was that was really like uh, helpful as far as like a verse I could just cling on to. So to me, the, like Solomon, Song of Solomon is like the opposite of Proverbs when it comes to just being able to grab verses out of it. Um, yeah, it's it's really more of a it's a song, it's a poem, it's poetic literature more so than just pithy wisdom literature. But it's still connected to Solomon because, um, well, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. A little bit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, the uh, the last um, or the third one is Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes doesn't actually name Solomon anywhere within it, but it, it does certainly reflect his life and his legacy uh and it's written from the perspective of solomon or at least as a solomon-like figure someone who has experienced what solomon has experienced um its exact authorship um who originally penned the words is debated but uh it that it has at least a connection to solomon and to his story is not debated um it's pretty straightforward there yeah this is probably one of my favorite books to uh distort um and and misquote i think it's one of the best books to misquote ever uh some of you can look up uh, ecclesiastes 727 and just have a lot of fun uh trying to bury yourself like unbury yourselves from that verse but probably one of the most famous passages from here one of there's there's several big passages um there's a season for everything uh under under the sun it's an ecclesiastes quote uh, ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 through 12 are like two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. A pity the one who falls without another one to lift him up. Um, also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person keep warm alone? If someone overpowers one person, two can resist. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. I mean, there's one of those passages that you just hear that cord of three strands is not easily broken. Is one of those quotes you probably have heard quite a bit. Um, and the the importance of having the right relationships and the right people and um of course there's all sorts of sermon applications in there that i've heard as well so ecclesiastes is but it's really easy to misquote it because it's it's a very cynical book isn't it david i mean in some mm -hmm. ways I yeah guess. which is why it's good you, know, you need to have um the big picture kind of, of of each of these books of what their purpose is in order to really understand each individual piece um especially with ecclesiastes and and Song of Solomon, um, whereas Proverbs has a few more, you know, easily applicable, you know, standalone verses, you still also should understand how it relates to the other wisdom books. Um, and there is actually one other book before we get to, you know, the overview. Uh, there's one other book that belongs in this category that we call wisdom literature. And that's the book of Job. 
Now, this one isn't as closely associated with Solomon, but it does deal with wisdom. And since Solomon is like the symbol of wisdom, there's still a whole bunch of hyperlinks and connections within Job to Solomon's and Solomon, his story and the character of Solomon. Um, though the connection there is a little bit more subtle than with the others, um, it's, it's worth mentioning. Well, yeah, and obviously one of the weird things that you don't always pick up on in the book of Job is that Job is not Jewish, right, David? Yeah, yeah, well, he's he's like a, a, from a parallel, he's, yeah, he's from the line of Shem, but from like a, a parallel branch uh, to Abraham, so it's, yeah, he's like in a parallel universe to the, the Jews. <laughs> kind of like kind of like if you're living in the marvel universe and he's in the dc universe you know it's just like like he's not he's not a part of their of their line or anything like that and i i think the we have conversations in in this one between god and angelic beings um we have bad advice from quote unquote friends um so to quote them is not good practice uh, so it's not like you just go in here and go, oh, so get some great life verses from this book. Yeah. There are some. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, in fact, just this last week we were sitting, I think it was last week, we are sitting at the table and somebody at our dinner table made the quote, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And of course, you finish with, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's actually Job 1.21. And it literally says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I'll leave this life. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we have so many songs that we sing from that, um, that it's just amazing uh, how much we quote that one verse, but most of us don't know a lot about the actual book of Job or comprehend it. Yeah. So we will look at that one uh, a little bit um, later, but we just, <laughs> we listed four whole books just now, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and Job. Uh, so how on earth are we going to cover all of all of these books in one week uh and we're already a minute over over time according to connor so <laughs> we're we're definitely not going to cover you know everything that's in all of these books uh we just want to give you a big picture overview of the different perspectives that each of these books um have and how they relate to each other there's no way we could actually summarize the the whole contents of all of them um but that does bring up a point that I think is also worth mentioning, and that's just the fact that you you all need to really spend time reading these books on your own in your own time. Uh, of course, that's true of the whole Bible, um, and we see that in Psalm chapter one, and the, the starts right off in, in verse one. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers? Instead, his delight is in Yahweh's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So in verse 2 there, that Yahweh's instruction is referring to scripture, meditating on it day and night, this amazing gift that we have, um, especially nowadays, of just the incredible access we have to the Bible. It's easy to take it for granted, um, but we should take advantage of it. The role that the Bible has in our lives and its its power to transform lives is nerfed. If you only listen to Mike and I talk about it for an hour each week, um, it, was, it was always meant to be something that we meditate on day and night. And again, this is true of the whole Bible, um, everything in there, but I think it's especially relevant 
when it comes to wisdom literature and poetry, um, it tends to kind of force you to slow down a little bit, whereas some of the narratives, you can move through it pretty easily and quickly. Uh, wisdom literature is characterized similarly to poetry. Uh, it's not all poetic, but it's still it's meant to be pondered and reflected on in a similar way. So all that said, we just want to, we're going to take a step back a bit and just give a quick introduction to each book. And to start with, we'll, we're going to start with those first three, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, the ones that are directly tied to Solomon. Um, and we know how much everyone likes videos. And the guys at the, the Bible Project, uh, you know, we, we love what they do, and they're insanely good at doing this kind of concise summarizing thing. So we thought we'd show you their take on what they refer to as the Books of Solomon. Yeah. Um, do you want me to do that, or are you going to share that? Uh, I think I can. Let's give it a shot. Okay. If not, a little engine that could. I'll apologize if I don't get it right. In the story of the Bible, King Solomon was the wise. No, I don't see it. I heard it for a second. Okay, let me stop and reshare. It's like it was showing the playlist window. There, there it is. I'm going to try to go full screen and see what happens this time. Fun. wisest ruler that Israel ever had. And there are three books in the Hebrew scriptures connected to him, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs. They pass down the legacy of Solomon's wisdom, but in a surprising way. So let's talk about how to read the books of Solomon. Okay, to really appreciate the story of Solomon's wisdom, we have to go back to the Garden of Eden. Where God created humanity, male and female. <laughs> right, Adam and Eve and God commissions them to rule the world together in intimacy and love. Kings and queens of creation. Now, in order to rule, you need to be wise. And the humans have a choice about how to gain wisdom. Yeah, they could live by God's wisdom, which will lead to life. Or they could become wise in their own eyes. And that's what they choose, to take the knowledge of good and bad into their own hands. And immediately, the intimacy between man and woman is broken. They hide their bodies from each other and then from God. Their choice leads to division and death. But the story holds out hope for a future human who will make the right choice and rely on God's wisdom. Like King Solomon, he prayed that God would give him the knowledge to know good from bad so he could rule with true wisdom. Exactly. He reverses the failure of Adam and Eve, and it leads to abundance. In Solomon's day, every Israelite sat in peace under their own fruit tree. Oh, it's like he's creating Eden. Well, for a while. But then Solomon fails. He marries hundreds of women from other nations, and he's deceived to follow their gods. And this begins Israel's long descent into self-destruction. And so when we turn to the books of Solomon, we're invited to learn wisdom from his successes and his failures. Got it. So let's start with Proverbs. Okay, so the book of Proverbs is most well known for the hundreds of short, memorable sayings that teach us how to live by God's wisdom. Like, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't be wise in your own eyes. In Proverbs, living by God's wisdom instead of your own is called the fear of the Lord. Like in the book's opening paragraph, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Now, Proverbs isn't just memorable sayings. It actually begins with a lot of poetry. Yes, nine chapters of speeches from Solomon to his royal sons. He tells them to pursue God's wisdom, which is symbolized as an elegant woman. Wisdom is a woman? Yes. So remember, in the Garden of Eden, the man and the woman's intimacy was violated by their failed search for wisdom. But now in Proverbs, humans who reunite with God's wisdom become what Adam and Eve failed to be, wise human rulers. Proverbs 3 even says that when we embrace Lady Wisdom, we're taking hold of the tree of life. Now we're the ones in the garden. Exactly. Proverbs is saying that every day we all stand before the tree with our own choice to make. And Solomon urges us, choose wisdom and life. Got it. So how does Ecclesiastes fit into Solomon's story? Well, in this book, it's like we're meeting Solomon near the end of his life, and he offers some sober reflections. Life is hevel. That's the Hebrew word for vapor or smoke, which is unpredictable and uncontrollable. And he's constantly talking about life under the sun. That is, life outside of the garden, how it's confusing and difficult. Right, even when I live by God's wisdom, life can be full of disappointments. Leading up to the ultimate disappointment, your own death. That's depressing. But at the end of the book, he says we should strive to live by wisdom and the fear of the Lord, just with more realistic expectations. Got it. Well, maybe the next book will cheer us up. The Song of Songs, a love poem between a man and a woman, and it'll make you blush. Yeah, on its basic level of meaning, this book is racy Hebrew love poetry. But remember, in Proverbs, humanity's pursuit of wisdom was portrayed with the symbolism of a man pursuing a woman in a garden. But in this song, it's the woman who's searching and longing for her lover. Yes, it's a poetic image of Lady Wisdom pursuing us so that we can have life. In fact, the song ends with a poem about how this lady's love is more powerful than death itself. So the song works on two levels. It's celebrating humans' desire for intimacy. And saying that that desire points to humanity's ultimate purpose, to be united with God and his wisdom. So we can rule united with each other. Exactly. This is why the song ends with the man and the woman united in love under a fruit tree. So the story of Solomon and these three books invite us to see ourselves within the whole biblical story. Yes, they're about how God designed all of us to rule the world by his wisdom so that we can all find true life. Cool. <clears throat> So that video, I think, does a great job um, of what's really important for us to do when we're reading the books of Solomon on our own. It's super helpful to keep this big picture perspective in mind and to see those connections that they have to, to each other, as well as to the overall narrative of Scripture. It connects to the Garden of Eden, connects to Christ. Um, so to keep all that in mind will help you in comprehending and, and applying their individual parts. I personally love how in this particular video, they really highlighted how wisdom gets personified as this female character, Lady Wisdom, and embracing her is like the key to life itself. And I brought that up briefly last week and because we kind of saw women being painted in more of a, a negative role uh, last week with Solomon. Uh, but if you think back to the garden, 
you have Eve, whose name literally means life. When she was first created, she was described as an azer for Adam, which uh, in his name means human. Um, but that word gets translated helper, azer, helper. Um, but the Hebrew concept of that word really means more of like a savior or rescuer. And it's often, most often used in reference to God himself as, or as something that he's providing to people who have no ability to provide it for themselves. So that's, you know, a far cry from just like, just a, help, a helping hand kind of concept. Um, but then uh, he, Eve was also the one who led Adam astray. So from the very beginning of the Bible, we have this theme of, of women and men um, and their pursuit of each other, resulting in either the best possible or worst possible consequences, literally life or death itself. Uh, and we saw that play out with Solomon uh, in some ways, and with Solomon with the Queen of Sheba versus Solomon and all his princess wives. And Mike kind of brought that up at the end last week. Um, and overall, Song of Songs is less about wisdom than the other books. It's a poetic genre, um, but it paints this beautiful picture of, in some ways, it's like this ideal romance. Um, and the beautiful ideal for when men and women do come together is that their love for each other becomes a representation and a reflection of God's love for us, his pursuit of us, and the just wonderful results of embracing him and his wisdom. Yeah, and the Song of Songs, David, if I could pop in here. Um, if you read a commentary on Song of Songs and then you read another commentary on Song of Songs, I promise you they're going to be very different. Um, it's, it's a very, um, basically it's an erotic love story and um, the different ways that it's applied because of the ambiguity of the whole story and, and the different figures that are in there. You have a garden, so it takes you back to the garden. You have I mean, all these different um, elements of that, that it's really one of those books that you do need to ponder and think over, like you mentioned with all these books. You have to really think, like, how does this what does this teach us about God? How does this relate to humanity? Um, it's really one of those books that you, it's tough. To, I, for me, it's one of those hard ones to really sit down and read through and and, and come away just like, oh, I, I feel, you know, much much more prepared to face my day today. It's, it's not one of those kinds of books. It's one of those ones you really have to think through. I, I For me, I don't know about you. Well, and besides the fact that so much of the, the language of the poem is so culturally nuanced and all of the, you know, all the euphemisms are stuff that we just totally don't get in English and modern, you know, Western culture. So that's another kind of barrier to understanding what it's saying uh, just on a face value level. Um, but it's it's a beautiful, beautiful book. It is. But I'm, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on Job. Yeah, so that video, it didn't mention Job, uh, but again, I think this book is worth bringing up in this discussion, um, at least just briefly. Uh, and by the way, the Bible Project does have a really awesome three video series that goes into Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job uh, from the wisdom literature perspective. If you've, if you've ever read Job, uh, you know it can be a pretty rough read uh, and that it can leave you with more questions than answers by the, the time you get to the end of it 
Um, but just to kind of summarize it briefly, it's the story of this guy who's described as righteous and blameless named Job, uh, who God then allows to be tortured by this character, the opposer, the Satan. Uh, and he basically loses everything, including his family and his health. And then he has to wrestle with why God allowed all of this to happen to him. Um, but he never loses faith in God, but he does wrestle with the anger and the frustration and confusion of his situation. And he kind of he accuses God of just being cruel. Um, he has these friends uh, that come to comfort him, but really just add insult to injury by saying that because God is just, God, that, that Job must have done something really terrible to de deserve everything that was happening to him. But Job knows, and we know as the reader, that Job really is innocent in all this. Well, we need to speak to that, too, because this is a mindset that stays in the Jewish mentality um, throughout history. So when Jesus, you brought up the blind man um, last, was it last week we talked about the blind man? No, I'm sorry, that was in the first John study. Um, when, well, I, I did think of that, though. Yeah, when Jesus, when, when Jesus and the disciples see this guy who was born blind, they're asked, uh, Jesus is asked, who sinned that this man was born blind? And it's that same idea that the only way you'd be mm -hmm. born blind is if somebody did something wrong and God was punishing them. And that's the mentality of these friends. The only way Job would be oppressed is if he did something terribly wrong. Uh, even his wife, I think my favorite part of the book in a, in a kind of a sadistical kind of way is his wife who says, why don't you just curse God and die? And, uh, and Job says, no, I won't do that. No, I won't do that. But, but even yeah. she's like, just, just get it over with, you know? And, and Job's like, no, I won't curse God. I know that, that I'm innocent. And I know that God is good in the end. Um, but you, you're wrestling with that. The whole, the whole book, you're wrestling with this mm -hmm. tension that's there. Mm -hmm. And with the case with Jesus and the blind man, Jesus actually explained the why. Um, he's essentially said he was he's blind so that I can show off, you know, how, you know, how powerful I am <laughs> um, is to to bring yeah. glory to God uh, was was the reason. Um, but at the end of Job, God, he does come and talk to Job, but he doesn't explain why anything happened. Um, he doesn't explain the whole backstory that he's actually proving to the Satan that he is a, you know, Job is righteous. He actually he basically presents Job with the wonders of the universe and says that the universe is so vastly complex that Job can neither comprehend nor claim the right to know the reasons and the methods by which the God of the universe runs the universe. And then God also gets really angry at Job's friends who then have to make sacrifices and, and ask for Job to pray for them. And uh, while Job, while Job is praying for them, they're forgiven and his own health and prosperity is restored to him. Uh, and so this whole story is actually the a prophetic image of another suffering servant that's going to come, the Messiah. But it's also like this real world playing out of the principles that are taught in Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes. And it shows that tension, like Mike said, it's the tension between approaching the world as if God just set it up with some formulaic pattern. Uh, and if you just follow the right rules, then you'll be happy and wealthy and wise versus this totally random and chaotic world where no matter what you do, your life can still end up in death and despair. Yeah, those being Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, really summarizing those two, yeah.
Yes. Yeah. Yep. And then, yep. so, yeah, just to quickly summarize each of those four books as concisely as possible, we have Proverbs, which is just this collection of pithy and wise sayings to help you have a good life. Ecclesiastes, which is kind of a cynical and jaded perspective that takes into account time and death and randomness, but it also encourages us to enjoy every moment of life and still pursue God and wisdom and righteousness, regardless of whether or not it goes well for us. Third, you have Job, which is this narrative showing a person living through the principles of those first two books and learning to trust God and his infinitely complex wisdom, regardless of any given circumstances. And then finally, we have the Song of Songs, which is this love song that describes the pursuit of lovers and reflects the joy and beauty of embracing wisdom and intimacy with God. Yeah, and while each of these books talks about wisdom from different perspectives, there's really some common threads throughout them. Um, and, and one of them that stands out to us is the biggest, uh, most important thread is tying them all together is this idea of the fear of the Lord. In fact, Proverbs comes right out and says it in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Um, let me paste that here. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 says this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the uh, inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man, let a wise person listen and increase in learning and let a discerning person obtain guidance for understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and the riddles. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and discipline. Um, now, this, of course, is one of those loaded topics that we could spend a really long time on. And we may just do that as a separate sermon, looking at the fear of the Lord. Uh, it's a subject we could really, really dive deeply into, and we don't have time to cover everything as usual, but we wanted to at least take a few minutes to reflect on this phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and discipline. If the key to wisdom um, is, is the fear of the Lord, then it's consequently also the key to life. And so we probably should talk about that uh, just a little bit. And, and this phrase, the fear of God or the fear of the Lord, you'll most time find it's, it's not connected with uh, any kind of punishment. There's things that we fear, right? Um, we, we fear uh, sickness. We People fear the coronavirus right now. We fear getting pulled over uh, if we're speeding. Um, <laughs> there's all sorts of things that we can fear, right? Fear getting sick from food if it's unknown food to us. Um, fear being embarrassed. There's a lot of things that we can be afraid of. Spiders. Spiders, snakes, uh, the dark. <laughs> Uh, but but the fear Water. of God is different than that. I, I think it's a lot it's a lot different meaning than just being terrified of or um, something that you cower from or hide from. And going back to Proverbs one, you notice the word knowledge in verse seven. We talked about that word and 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 what it meant to Jewish readers and listeners. It's a direct hyperlink back to the garden in Genesis and the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. And so the very first command from God with consequences had to do with knowledge. And um, that command was, do not eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you will surely what? You'll surely die. So I'm curious, 
uh, maybe you could post in the comments, why did God want Adam not to eat from that tree? What do you guys have in the comments there? Why did God want Adam to not eat from that tree? And nobody wants to answer. <laughs> Yeah, the consequence, obviously, was that you will surely die. So the consequence is bad. But why did God set that up in the first place? Why did he give that command other than, you know, <clears throat> because of the consequence? Yeah, Kathy, spot on. He wanted him to show obedience mm -hmm. to God. Yeah, God wanted them to trust him, right? Isn't that really what it's about? Um, and And the reason that God gave the command was because God wanted man to listen to him, to trust him and to obey him. Um, Mike, Mary says it establishes a free will. It's true. Knowledge used apart from God's life only makes more problems. That's also true. Okay. Yeah, and I think if when you boil down all of the, the reasons why, uh, we'll never know exactly like the, the exact thought that went through God's head, but we see at least three things through the scriptures in this idea of the fear of the Lord. Um, one is to... God wants us to listen to him. God wants us to trust him and God wants us to obey him. And I think that you can, you can listen to someone and really not care about their message. Um, it, you know what I'm saying? Like you can listen, but not really be hearing. And Jesus talked about that. He has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, uh, yeah. David, you mentioned the Hebrew word Shema. Um, oh yeah. That's why that word is so cool in Hebrew because the word that's translated is, is listen and the Old Testament um, is the Hebrew word Shema, which doesn't mean to just take in things through your ears. It's to listen and obey. And so that idea of listening and also responding, heeding uh, what you're hearing is wrapped up into that one word Shema. And that's why we, we've brought up the Shema from the Old Testament a lot. Um, and it's that quintessential commandment, um, you know, listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. Obey him with all your heart, soul, and mind. Um, so that's that's why the Shema was listen and obey. That's what God wants is uh, for us to, to listen and obey. I just yeah. like geeking out on that that one word. <laughs> <laughs> Not surprised. Not surprised. Yeah, so listen, trusting, and obeying are all part of that original command. It goes back to the garden. Uh, God wants us to listen to him, to trust him, and, and to, to do what he says even if it doesn't make sense at the time, even if we're not satisfied with what he's asking, that's really what the fear of the Lord is about. It's not about uh, being terrified of God. And it's not just this reverence, reverent awe where it's like, okay, God is so big and I'm so small and I'm just a worm and, and he's amazing. It's not just that reverence. Uh, there has to be action to the reverence. You can't just pay lip service. You have to pay life service as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, are you going to say something, David? No, just agreeing. So, so going back to our passage in Proverbs, we read it, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Basically, Solomon is saying that the path to knowledge starts with listening, trusting, and obeying God. It takes us back to that Genesis narrative with it. Um, but as we look at these books, they show a different outcome of the fear of the Lord. And I think that's where the wisdom literature gets really unique. Um, Proverbs basically says that the fear of God uh, Fear God and good things happen. Fail to fear God 
and you're punished. I mean, that's like the Proverbs black and white, uh, similar to what the way James is black and white or John is black and white and light and darkness kind of stuff. Proverbs is like, do what God says. God will give good things. Obey God and he'll prosper. Disobey God, you'll die. I mean, it's it's like just that that uh, cause and effect in a very, uh, and just like two, there's just two different options. Um, Job, <laughs> on the other hand, is like fear God and God might allow thing, bad things to happen to you anyway, which seems to contradict Proverbs some, doesn't it? It's like Proverbs is like, mm-hmm. if you follow God, this will happen. And this is probably why Job's friends struggled as much as they did. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's Ecclesiastes, which just says, well, if you fear God, things might go well and they might not. Um, so it's kind of like in the middle. It's just like you can fear God and he might choose to prosper you. But I've seen the wicked prosper also. And uh, you may not notice those differences right away or in your lifetime. So all three of them um, talk about fearing God, but they all present a different, I guess, a different outcome, right? To what mm-hmm. could be, what could happen if you fear God. Well, they're different perspectives. Um, so that's why it's we need to be careful when we are reading them um, and studying them not to take any of them as, you know, having these magic formulas for success or f- to get God's blessing. Um, it's it's easy to kind of focus on the, the micro bit of the message um, too much and miss the macro message. Um, and we when we get to the end of Ecclesiastes, uh, we have this kind of conclusion um, that's coming from uh, a different kind of a third perspective or a second perspective that says when all has been heard uh, and this is in chapter 12 uh, 13 through 14 um, when all has been heard the conclusion of the matter is this fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity for God will bring every act to judgment including every living th- every hitting thing whether good or evil so it's a reminder that at the bottom line even though <laughs> you know time will catch up to everyone randomness will you know bring unexpected circumstances and death is uh coming to everyone as well you still need to fear god um and god is in fact a just god well and he's going to judge everything and i think that that's where we often focus with ecclesiastes and proverbs right it's that mm-hmm. if I don't do the right thing, I'm going to get punished. But they're not just a book of uh, smart sayings and commands to keep us from getting zapped by God. I mean, I think that's not like the the only message there. They're, they're meant to help us understand and trust God, not just be afraid mm-hmm. of God. And I think that the book of Job brings that out better than the end of Ecclesiastes. So at the end of the book of Job, uh, chapter 42, verses 2 through 6, uh, Job has been having this conversation with God and he says this, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours will be thwarted. And you asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? And surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. And when I question you, you will inform me. I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words, and I am sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. Um, The goal of the wisdom literature, and the entire Bible for that matter, is to help us really see and know God. 
they're his words and they've been given to us to help us know him and to trust him and to obey him. So at the end of all of these things that happens in Job's life, he's like, yeah, this is about uh, me knowing God better and seeing God more completely. It's not just about do this or you'll get punished or do this and you'll be blessed. It's it's about knowing God and, and having a, a better relationship with God. And so I think that that beginning, the the fear of God being the beginning of knowledge, when we understand who God really is, we really start to get wise as we approach our circumstances and our situations. Um, and I think that that's like how they sum up the, I think it's a good way to sum up all three of those books. I really don't know how to throw Song of Solomon in there, David. I'm sorry. I tried and I'm like, how do you fit Song of Solomon into that? Uh, and I'm really not sure. Well, it's easy. It helps us see God's, you know, intense love for us and how much he wants to, to be with us. And for us to accept his wisdom and embrace his wisdom. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we, we've covered a whole lot of ground today, uh, quite a variety of different topics. Um, and we do have you know more resources available if you want to personally dive deeper into how to read and understand wisdom literature or the fear of God or both. Um, and again, we might, you know, revisit and dive deeper into some of this in the future. Um, but in the meantime, our challenge to you now would be to read at least those three primary, uh, the wisdom books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, um, on your own and keeping that big picture in mind. Because uh, these are really, like we brought up before, some of the most practical and easily applicable books, even though they're also at times some of the most confounding uh, in places. But again, that's just what makes wisdom literature such rich literature to meditate on. It's just ripe for a whole lifetime of contemplation and, and appreciation. Yeah, and I think as we um, as we think about the messages and how they have different outcomes for fearing God and for obeying him, I, I guess one of the questions I'd like to ask, and, and maybe I'll ask and maybe David will be willing to share his answers, but w when you when you think about your everyday life situations, your ups, your downs, your struggles, going through a pandemic, uh, being at home, going back to work, uh, all these different situations, parenting, um, change of commands, uh, all sorts of stuff that go on. When you think about everyday situations and you think about God's participation in that, do you, do you tend to have more of a Proverbs perspective that I get what I deserve? Um, that if I do the right thing, God will, God will reward me. And if I do the wrong thing, God will punish me. Do you have an Ecclesiastes perspective of, well, it really doesn't matter anyway, whatever I do, God's sovereign, he's going to do whatever he wants. Um, and it's all vanity anyway. Uh, or do you have that Job perspective? That even if I'm going through a very tough time, no matter what he wants, no matter what he chooses to do to me, I'm going to trust him. Uh, or do you have that balanced approach of all three of those uh, wisdom books? Um, and so I guess I, I really want us to think about that in our circumstance, because that's what each of those books is doing is saying, here's everyday life. And how do you see God in these everyday situations? Not how are, how is, is this going to um, necessarily like give you the strength you need to get through it. It's more about God and what God is doing than it is about us. Um, and so just curious, David, if you have any, uh, thoughts on that perspective. Um, yeah. And other people can feel free to type in your answers as I'm talking here. 
But um, I guess obviously I try to adjust my perspective to fit what these books are saying, uh, but my actual response and my immediate emotional reaction in any given moment probably fluctuates based on how I'm feeling <laughs> um, between, you know, thinking I sh should be getting what I deserve, whether that's consequences or you know, positive or ne negative consequences, or you're just not going to even care, like you said, for like Ecclesiastes. Um, but I think what, what I would try to... <laughs> focus on um, from each of these books is the fact that Proverbs is telling us that God is wise, he's just, and he's woven that aspect of his nature into the world, um, his wisdom and, and righteousness and his just nature is part of the world, but time and randomness and death are inescapable realities, which is partly how God designed the universe, but also a result of sin and corruption um, in the universe. And God does transcend these other things. So while we should enjoy the simple pleasures of, of life um, as being gifts from God, they're not the ultimate purpose of life. Um, rather, you know, focusing on God as the ultimate reality. And then Job, uh, basically, is just that reminder that God does what he wants and you can't always comprehend the complexity of of how he works um nor do we have a right to demand answers uh so we just need to trust him so letting go of that need for answers and trying to you know trust in god and his wisdom yeah and as we wrap up our time in god's word um just want you to think about something here and i'm going to paste this in so you can uh copy it down and ask yourself this, these questions uh, over the next week, even as you face situations. Um, what I encourage you not to do, I'm going to give you some wisdom here. These are not things to bring out and to say to your spouse, are you, did you listen to the message? Are you trusting God this way? So um, these are for you to ask yourself, uh, not necessarily on your spouse. Um, just, just throwing that out there. If the goal of the books, of these books, is to teach us to fear God, and they all show different ways in which God works. How do we respond to the working of God? Do we tend to lean towards one book's perspective or the collective whole? And have we learned in all circumstances to listen to, trust, and obey God? Um, I think that we have to ask ourselves that question and realize that it is God's story. It still is today. It was then. It still is. And we are just uh, participants in God's story. So it's not about our lives and our little microcosm here. It's about the wisdom of God and what he's doing in the world. Genesis until the end of time when he re renews all things and recreates that Edom, that Eden ideal. So we have to be thinking about it from the perspective of this is God's story. This is about God. What do I need to learn about God and how do I need to trust God and follow him through these circumstances? Wow, I rambled yeah. a lot there, David. I'm sorry. I, 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 that's okay. that I think that's a good way to wrap up our time. <laughs> so, um, I, I'm going to ask David to close us in prayer. And then I'm going to please ask you to stick around. Uh, if Ariel's audio is working, I'm excited to have Ariel uh, also sharing her testimony with us this morning. Um, so, David, would you close us out in prayer? I'll and then we can listen uh, from Ariel. Sounds good. Oh, Heavenly Father, God of the universe, it's 
amazing that we can uh, come before you in prayer um, and that you've revealed so much to us about who you are uh, through scripture and even just through the world that you've created. Um, thank you for the humbling reminder today to trust you. Um, pray that you would give us all hearts to seek wisdom, uh, beginning with fearing you and that you would teach us all what that looks like um, for us individually and, and as a family, that our lives would um, reflect you and reflect your wisdom and that we would uh, be able to share that uh, with, with the rest of the world around us as we live our daily lives. Um, and I just thank you for the, the gift of wisdom and that you are a generous, <laughs> generous God who gives freely to all who ask for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.